Hello, this is Angelique with the Gaston County Public Library. You are listening to the Book to the Library podcast, the audio recordings of the library's Book to the Library author talks. On October 16, 2018, Gastonia-born author Wiley Cash visited the library to discuss his then-recently released book, The Last Ballad, a fictional account of the 1929 Laurie Mill strike. We are so thrilled to have with us Wiley Cash. He is a Gastonian native. He's a New York Times best-selling author of A Land More Kind Than Home. And his latest novel, as you all know, The Last Ballad, is receiving all kinds of critical acclaim. It's based on the story of the 1929 Lorry Mill strike, which was here in Gastonia, and the untimely death of the Union supporter, Ella Mae Wiggins. This book brings light to Gastonia and the now forgotten struggle of the labor <coughs> movement. This book honors both the men and women who literally risk their lives to win basic rights for all workers. And um, this is the third time that we've been able to have Wiley here at a program at the library. The first time was awesome because it was like homecoming. All his teachers, neighbors, everyone he grew up with <laughs> showed up. The second time was just as good, but this time is, is the best of all. And we are so proud of you, Wiley, and so glad that you have come back to join us. Please welcome Wiley Cash. Thank you so much, Laurel. It's, uh, it's a thrill to be back. This is the library that I grew up uh, coming to, and I've said before uh, here and at other libraries that when I was a kid, it was a big deal to turn six because when you turned six, you got your library card. And I can remember library cards from the library here. They were little manila envelope colored uh, pieces of paper that had a little silver bar, a little silver strip in them. And I can remember holding my library card and thinking, I will never be bored, right? I can always read something that will take me uh, to a place aside from the place where I am now in Gastonia. You know, if it was raining and we couldn't go out in the woods and play dangerous lawsuit games or shoot <laughs> basketball in the driveway, uh, I could read. So I, I do not remember being bored in my childhood, and a lot of that is due to um, the people here at the Gaston County Public Library, and many of them are still actually working here. Um, I believe that uh, libraries are foundational to our democracy. We come here to study, we come here to learn, we come here to vote, we come here to complain uh, in public forums. Uh, libraries offer us a place to go no matter who we are. Some of us literally have no place to go during the daylight hours, and libraries open their doors and provide services to all of us. So thank you for coming today, and thank you for supporting your library. We live now down in Wilmington, and one of the first things we did was uh, become friends of the New Hanover County Public Library. So if you're not a member of the Friends here today, I encourage you to consider uh, joining up. Um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about my book, The Last Ballad, which, as Laurel said, is based on the, the, the strike. It's not a, necessarily a nonfiction book. Um, Christina wrote one of those that's, that's quite wonderful and I, and I relied on heavily. Uh, this is a novel. And what I really tried to do, what was really important to me um, when my editor and I were talking about this book over the five years that I researched it and, and, and wrote it, and I have to say that during those five years, um, my wife grew and uh, gave birth to two humans. Um, so she's like, oh, how's your book coming? I just created another human. But it's really cute that you're writing a book. Best of luck with that. 
I'll be, now be feeding these humans from my body. But let me know how your book turns out. But over those five years, my editor kept asking me, you know, obviously this book is different than your first two books. My first book was called The Notebook, uh, written under a pen name. Um, this book is very different than that book. Um, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? And I said, you know, what I, what I really want to do is I want to give readers a sense of what it felt like. What did it feel like to be in Gastonia in the summer of 1929? What did it feel like if you were LMA and you're poor, you're down to your last, you don't even have a dollar. You've lost a child. Ella, Ella actually lost more than one child, but in the book I had her just lose one child because I thought contemporary readers who didn't know the story of Ella's struggles would discover that she lost four, ch four children and say this is implausible. Nobody can lose four children and keep going. That's, that's, that's inhuman. And they would put the book away and, and I would break that trust that, that a writer has with the reader. But I wanted the reader to feel what it felt like to be someone like Ella May, who was literally working herself to death. In America then and now we have a popular misconception that the working poor do not work hard enough, and Ella was one of those working poor who was working herself to death. 72 hours a week and a textile mill on the night shift for $9. Um, and so I wanted the reader to understand and to feel, what did it feel like to be someone like Ella? At the same time, what did it feel like to be a mill owner and see this, this force, this organization coming for you? I wanted to know, not because I wanted the truth to be there, who knows what that means, especially in, in looking back almost 100 years. That's completely debatable. But what we can't debate is the experience. And whenever I teach writing and I'm teaching maybe a memoir class or a nonfiction class, I always tell the students, you know, people can always dispute your account of something. You know, did it happen on Tuesday? Did it happen on Wednesday? Did it happen at 9.05 or did it happen at 9.15? What they can never dispute is what it felt like, what it felt like to you. And so when I was writing this book, I was trying to give the reader an idea of what it felt like. And so my reader, my, my, my editor, who's actually from Raleigh, um, which helps uh, uh, enormously when I'm trying to write these books set in North Carolina, his parents still live in Raleigh. Um, he was asking me, you know, I understand that you want them to understand what it feels like, but aside from that, what do you want it to feel like as a, as a work, and I said, I just want it to feel rich. I just want it to feel like life. I want it to feel layered. I want it to feel complicated. I want it to feel, to feel nuanced, and I don't want this to be a book that has a lot of easy answers in it. I don't want this to be a book that at the end you say, mm, and you feel good and you close the page, because that's not what this event felt like. Um, and and as, a, as a fiction writer, while this book is slammed full of facts and you can line the dates up and all the dates are there, I wanted this book to feel like something. I, I, I always, I, I spoke at a, um, at a labor conference in, in Athens, Georgia, I think that was in April, at the university. And so I was a fiction writer surrounded by all these academics and historians. And I was like, oh, I'm going in the lion's den with my little flimsy novel in Jacqueline Dowd Hall. Uh, who's a famous, famous folklorist and historian and taught at Chapel Hill for many years. She was like moderating the panel and asking me questions and I felt like a complete fraud because this woman's like the fact keeper for the Mill Village, for Mill Village history. And, and so I was talking and I said, 
you know, when, when, when Firestone purchased the mill, and I, got, I said the date, and, and, I, and I got the date wrong, and somebody in the audience like yelled out the, right, the correct date, I was like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> date, mate. Um, but we finally settled with me being a fiction writer in a room full of historians. I said, you know, people read your books to see what, what, what happened. They, they read history books to see what happened. They read my books to see what it felt like. What did it feel like? to be Ella? What did it feel like to be a mill owner? What did it feel like to be an African-American labor organizer coming down from New York City? And that's what I really, really tried to do. And, and I relied on history. I relied on Christina's book. I went to the, to the museum over in Dallas. That's where I learned, actually, that Edison uh, had provided the dynamo that ran the mill at McCaddenville. You know, I, I learned all of these things by, by, by relying on history. But then I had to rely on my own uh, abilities as a, as a writer, as a fiction writer, and, and elements of craft to thread these things together and to find the story. Because a set of events is not a story. You all have that friend who tells you the set of events day. They say, oh, let me tell you about my day. Well, I woke up, and then I ate breakfast, and then by then it was lunchtime, so I did that. Then I, then I ate dinner, and then I went to bed, and it was just a day. It was crazy. And you're like, that's not a story, that's a set of events. And, and with the mill itself, the set of events do not necessarily tell a story. So what I had to do was to find what is the story of this. If I can organize these events and these facts into a story that has some kind of um, uh, conflict at the beginning that makes the action rise, and then we have a climax, and then we have falling action, because events don't have those things. Events are... A through Z, 1 through 10. But stories, when you have a good storyteller, they build up to something. And it crescendos, and then it comes down, and then, then things are, are done that cannot be undone. And that's what I really, really worked to find. And I had a hard time finding Ella, because Ella was very real. And I wanted Ella to be the center of the story. I wanted her to be the moral imperative. I wanted her to be the emotional center, the heart space of the novel that the reader was always checking in emotionally with Ella's character to see how he or she felt about the events that were going on. But because she was real, I had a hard time creating her. Because I didn't want to create somebody and make her a saint because she was not a saint. None of us are. No matter how desperately we want to believe we are, none of us are. And I didn't want to create this flimsy historical character. And so what I started doing was I started creating other characters. And I watched how they responded as Ella passed through their lives. And so I created these characters that felt very, very real to me. Uh, a guy who works in a, in a store down in Cowpen, South Carolina, and Ella comes in one day, and she's this mysterious young girl with a child. And how does he respond to her? This African-American uh, labor organizer from New York City who thinks he's, you know, a hotshot and has, a, has, a, has it all going on, how does he respond to Ella? Um, how does this other mill owner and his wife, how do they respond to Ella? And when I watched people respond to her, she just became so real to me. And I was able to find her um, after seeing my characters find her. And I think in, in many ways, historical figures like Ella, who left such a small uh, paper trail, we're, we're constantly kind of looking for these historical figures. And we're always trying to conceptualize who they were and, and find the truth of who they were. And that's what I was trying to do in this, in this book. 
I found this story, and, and some of y'all might have heard me tell this, so forgive me if, if, if you're hearing something for the second or third time, but I, I found this story uh, when I went to graduate school down in Louisiana. I, I grew up here in Gastonia. My mom's from here. My dad's from, from Shelby. Some of y'all, y'all know my parents. Um, but I went down to graduate school in, in, in Lafayette, Louisiana, and one of my first days on campus, a professor who was from New York asked me where I was from. And um, I'm used to saying, uh, I'm from Gastonia, it's near Charlotte, it's near Asheville, there's a clothing outlet, Mary Jo's. Uh, <laughs> there's some Tony's ice cream, uh, is it ringing a bell? Uh, and sometimes people go, hmm. Um, oh, they, they, they tried to do that once in Shelby when I said I'm from Gastonia, and I was like, not tonight! <laughs> you live in Shelby. So I got some Shelby friends here, they, they don't like that story. Um, but, uh, and so, you know, not, and so I'm down in Louisiana, and it's a, it feels like a foreign place. And so I said, just shot in the dark. I'm from Gastonia, North Carolina, expecting where's that. Passed it on 85 one time. And he said, oh, home of the Lori Mill strike. And I said, yeah, that old thing. Because I was new to this graduate program, and I didn't want to seem stupid. So I Googled it, and I found out that one of the most significant uh, labor movements in American history had happened in my hometown. And I'd never heard the name Lore. I'd never heard the name Ella Mae Wiggins. I'd never heard Orville Adderhold. I'd never heard any of these names or, or about this stuff. And I wondered why. And I wanted to try to write something about the mill. You know, I'd gone down to uh, Louisiana to, to try to become a better fiction writer. I studied under uh, a writer that I still consider my mentor, a writer named Ernest Gaines, who wrote A Lesson Before Dying and the Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. And he's, he's like my literary forefather, and I went down there to write at his feet and learn how he did it. I still haven't learned, but maybe I didn't sit long enough. I was there only there for five years. But I knew I wanted to write this story, but I didn't think I could do it. You know, this is, I knew this was going to be a big story. I knew it was going to take a ton of research. Um, that I was able to find at places like this library. I was burning up the, the interwebs by asking requests of the reference librarians, and they were firing PDFs and pictures and all kinds of documents to me, and reading Christina's book and going to the mill, and then looking at the great online um, showcase that the Kessel Center has out of Chapel Hill. All of these things influenced me, but I wasn't aware of those things, or they weren't happening back in 2003. And so I wrote two other books, trying to figure out how books worked. Right? I wrote A Land More Kind Than Home and This Dark Road to Mercy, very tight, compressed novels, uh, little mousetrap novels where, where events spring off of one another and, and, and one chapter bleeds into the next. Um, preparing to write Last Ballad, uh, which is not that kind of book. This is a sprawling book. It's a multi-generational uh, book. It spans 100 years in, in, in the entire state of North Carolina. But again, it goes back to me trying to create something that was, that was rich and, and, and it felt like life. And that's what I wanted to do was to create a book that felt like life and that people from this area would recognize something of their lives in it, hopefully. And that's the biggest compliment I've received um, from this book. Um, money would have been better, but um, <laughs> you can't always get what you want when you're a writer. Um, but, but I always wonder, why didn't I, why didn't I learn the story? And I realized it's... When we sit down to create curriculum, especially when I was a kid growing up in the 80s during the Cold War, or my parents growing up, uh, I don't want to give their age away, I'll just say during uh, the McCarthy era, we have certain preconceived notions about people like LMA, about events surrounding the strike. 
And, and I, I just came to terms with the fact that often, especially historically, when school boards or people who design curriculum sit down to design curriculum, they don't ask people like Ella May what they want their children to learn. And so people like Ella May, the poor, the powerless, the, the left behind, they get left behind in history. Uh, another example of this is the, the 1898 events in Wilmington in which uh, the day after election day, white supremacists took to the streets and, and killed scores of African Americans and ran them out of town, took over their homes, overthrew the city. Uh, that's the only successful coup in American history. It's the only successful coup in American history. It happened in Wilmington in 1898. My wife grew up in Wilmington and never learned a word about it, never learned about it in public school. Um, and so we, we don't ask the people who are left behind what they want taught about them if they are going to be taught at all. And, and I'm thankful for the education that I got, and I'm thankful that I was able to find answers to the questions I didn't know to ask. Um, and so I think events like this are reclamation events. They're, they're opportunities for us who are from this place or, or interested in this place, who, or perhaps who have returned to this place, to come back and say, what happened? Why did it happen? Uh, is it still happening? perhaps, and, and, and what can we learn about it that we didn't know then, uh, that we can push this, this thing forward. Um, so it's a thrill to be here, and I would love to take maybe just a couple of questions before my, my much more uh, intelligent colleagues come to the stage to answer your real questions about history. But if anybody has questions about writing the book or about writing or publishing or, or agents or, or anything like that. Yes, ma'am. That was fictitious, yes, I made that up. Um, Cade and Richard McAdam, I don't have to tell you all who that's based on. Um, a lot of people from here have emailed me and said, I noticed a typo. <laughs> you got to get it fixed. And um, I changed their name because I had changed so much about that family, those two people. And I just didn't feel comfortable keeping their name what it was. I think they're wonderful characters. And... Uh, I think, I think Cade and Richard are probably my most, my favorite characters because I like characters uh, that possess some moral complexity, that want to do the right thing, but they don't always know what the right thing is. And that's where I feel Richard is. Richard is the character that, pro Richard and Hampton in many ways too, like Hampton really wants to be brave, but bravery for somebody like Hampton means like probably the end of your life. And so he, he has a hard time and he looks to Ella and it says, gosh, she's incredibly brave. Well, Ella has certain freedoms that Hampton just doesn't have. Um, but that was totally fictitious. But, you know, the area that, that I wrote about, you can go there and walk that. You know, I did that. I spent so much time in this city writing this book because I wanted to know, like, if I'm writing about May 15th, I could come here on May 15th and say, this is what it smells like on May 15th. Uh, and this is what the sunset looks like on May 15th. That was intoxicating. You know, my mom and I, we live down, my mom lives on Oak Island, and I live down in Wilmington now, and I just drove in from Asheville this morning and picked her up at my aunt's house in Bessemer City. And we got, we got out of the, uh, the car, and I said, smells the same. <laughs> Standing in the parking lot, it smells the same, you know. And she thinks that I have, like, this superhuman ability to smell things, but <laughs> I don't. I don't. Maybe, maybe she just can't smell anything. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm not... Super. She's over there like, why are you talking about me? 
here in front of all my friends. Um, but uh, I think that I, I'm a writer, so I'm always open. I'm always listening. I'm always trying to pay attention. I'm always looking for the nuanced thing. And, and oftentimes, that nostalgic smell is, it, it takes you to the nuanced thing. This has been the Book to the Library podcast featuring Wiley Cash. <laughs>